time right now as we started the Thank you. Where do schools like Spring Mountain Youth Camp, Juvenile Detention Center fit in the strategic plan? So um, I think, well, that's on the strategic plan. When I shared that, um, I shared the strategies. One of the first folks that started looking at the strategic plan were my principals to provide input. Because it wasn't just my cabinet creating the strategic plan. It went out into the community and it went out into our principals. So they're included in some of the work that's in there within those strategies. We've talked a lot about proficiency gaps and opportunities. What are your plans for African-American students that are on or above academic expectations? That's a great question, because one of the things that we need to accelerate, those that are at the proficient, how do we get them to a higher level of learning? Because when you look at our kids competing with other kids across the country to get into the universities or into the workforce. You know, just because you're at a proficient level doesn't mean that you need to stay there. That you need to stay there throughout your K-12 system. You know, my hope is that if you're in the ninth grade and you're in the, a regular class, regular, let's just simplify this, ninth grade, English language arts regular. Well, why can't you get to an AP class? Because that's how your mind grows and continues. We need to have a growth mindset that every single student continues to learn. So we can't just expect that you graduate as a student in a regular class. And that's what we need to continue and we need to expand. How do we start opening the access, opening access to our AP classrooms? Why do we have teacher recommendations? Why, these are the questions that I'm asking the team. Because we know, we can see the data all the way down to fifth grade, right? If you look at our fifth grade, who gets recommended into sixth grade advanced math? The quiet, the kid that asks all the questions. So it's how do we start looking at the achievement data and assessments, this is where I'll tell you that assessments are a good tool. Because there's no color, where you come from, it's a number. How do we look at that data? And that's why we created, a we, we purchased a balanced assessment system, K-8, to look at student achievement data because there's no racism in numbers and there's no names. And you start looking at numbers, and then you start accelerating. If you're at a level two, how do you get to three? Mm. How do you get to four? Right, so if you look at it, it in fifth grade it starts, the, the gap starts widening. That's why our minority children are not in seventh grade algebra one. Mm. In eighth grade, algebra one or geometry, but in certain communities there are. So that's gonna be where my team will be held accountable to open those doors. Because if you really look at it, they'll never get into a calculus class in 11th grade 
that my daughter was able to. Well, that's because dad made the decisions for her. That's where the adults need to make the academic decisions for students around assessment data and push them. Because we know we push our own kids. And I, it, what I know about, about children, if they know that you love them and you hold them accountable to high expectations, they will do everything they can to achieve. So that's the way we're gonna do that moving forward. Thank you. Um, we also, another elected official representative in the room is Shanti McGee, district representative for Congresswoman Susie Lee. I'm going to move in a minute. Thank you. Uh -huh. no you have an empty seat next to you if you would raise your hand. We have a lot of people without chairs still. I'm going to just come this way. That's okay, babe. That's okay. Okay, due to the nature of why we're here. We ask that anyone that wants to film on their phone, either remain in your seat or stand to the back of the room and use your Zoom. We do not want anyone standing in the aisle because it's blocked views of people that want to see up front. Can I get you all to agree to do that, please? Thank you. Thank you. What is your commitment to ensuring all school improvement plans have a cultural competency goal that is implemented and monitored? So as I've been uh, very clear, we have a focus 2024, which is the district school improvement plan, district improvement plan. So the way this is gonna work that every school, that's why it was, it was very important for me to have the principals have the buy-in and see the plan before it was adopted by the board. So now every school, in the district will all be targeted to meet the same district goals. We have that in our district plan. So in order for them to meet my, not my, our goals, they have to include the same strategies within their school improvement plan. I'm an employee in the CCSD, in my four years, I've witnessed administrators who are not prepared to address the needs of all students they serve. What will you do to implement, what plans do you have to address these shortcomings? That's part of um, the work that we're starting with the National Equity Project. That's part of the work that we have to do around culture competency across the entire district. Um, we have to train principals. We have to train all administrators. We have to train staff and not just teachers i mean we have to do an entire approach around bus drivers everybody we need to train anybody that comes in contact with our students need to have an understanding of what our students look like feel like and come to us so that's going to be a comprehensive um training program that, that we're going to be bringing forward I know this is an area that is very near and dear to you as well. We have a, a member of our audience who's the first black female to get a plumber's license in the state of Nevada. What is CCSD going to do to help bring awareness to students about construction trades? That is uh, one of the priorities. That is a I don't want to have you stand up, but there you are. Thank you so much. So we need more. So we're gonna ask you to come and we need to market that for our young ladies. Uh, because that's the thing, I mean, our, our, 
our CTE, our, our skill strength. Where, why are we not putting more kids into these high paying jobs? Into the trade, the unions. My, listen, my, so, so, well, we need to work on that. That's why we are, we are working, and I created, um, we brought in Dr. Barton and, um, and Workforce Connection. We had a, a co-organizational um, um, labor summit. We brought in all the labor unions. Um, and we have an approach that we're working on to expand the offerings for our students. We need to change the mindset that going to college is the way to greatness in, in, in America. It's the trades also. We have 15,000 unfilled construction jobs here in Las Vegas. So why are our kids not having that opportunity? When you look at our CTE data that we share with the board, the same gaps. Right? So how do we start targeting in middle school, right? That you can graduate high school, go be an apprentice, make $21 an hour with full health care, a 401k. I wish I had a 401k when I was 19. Right? And then how do we open the door? So we're celebrating May 1st, you know, we're doing May 1st as we do our our um, college acceptance. We're gonna bring in May 1st, we have our labor unions that are gonna be offering our kids jobs May 1st, right on, you know, when they leave high school into, into 872, local 88. And these are different things, you know, the, the plumbers, carpenters union, these are things that we need to expose our kids to. You know, my own personal story, my son who was in college after one semester, in Florida, said, I'm done. He now, he's now here at Local 88 in the sheet metal union. He's making $21 an hour. He's got full health care. He's got a 401k. I say, okay, now we got to have a conversation. Now you got to start paying rent. <laughs> right? I mean, and, it, and it's a great career. So we need to continue to expand that, especially for our young ladies. Thank you. Debbie Conway from the County Assessor's Office. What is your plan to increase substance and alcohol abuse awareness classes? Well, <laughs> uh, I think it, you know we need to look at where we do what we do during in our health classes. Uh, you know the curriculum. Obviously, we have the standards, the Nevada State standards that we have to teach uh, and, and make sure that we continue to do that and what other programs we, we can look at to offer our, our students, um, you know, or educate them on the dangers um, of what could happen or, you know, um, alcoholism and different substance abuse for as well. Um, you know, we do that through our health the, the classes. Is there funding that can be earmarked to help close the achievement gap between the highest performing subgroups and lowest performing? That's a great question. So I'll tell you this. Um, one of the things that, first of all, one of the things that we need to look at is how we spend our dollars first. Um, and that's one, one of the things that I did. Uh, we just, a couple months ago, what I did is looking at our federal money, Title I money, is uh, earmarked to us 
according to the level of poverty in our community. Uh, we, as a school system, we were allocating that all the way down to any, any school 40% or above would get some money. So one of the things that I did um, is that we looked at the data, we looked at how we were allocating the money conversations uh, with other urban school systems and across America, we, they only allocated to the schools that are 75% and above. So guess what, that means more money goes to where the greatest need. So when we started looking at that, that's the way we did it in Orlando where I came from as well. Um, we saw a lot of benefits where more our neediest kids and our communities that cost us more money got more money. So what we did is when we looked at the data, uh, we changed it. Instead of going all the way down to 40, we only gave it to 60 because we needed to transition. Eventually, I'd like to get to 75%, but I think that is a long-term strategy because that means we lost, 55 schools lost funding, but more funding went to where the greatest need, where we have the largest gap, where we have the greatest challenges in our community. So that is something that we need to continue to look at and how we spend the money is important as well. So that's number one. The other thing that um, when we looked at uh, as, um, as a school system, eight schools were identified by the state um, as high, historically low performing in our urban core because you have our youngest teachers because there's vacancies there. So as we, we created um, an MOU with our unions where we can incentivize teachers to go to those schools. Financial incentive to go to those schools. So adding more resources and then also finding ways to incentivize teachers to go to where the greatest needs are in this community and then make sure that we monitor and create and have that sense of professional development and support to help the teachers address the challenges that our children are facing. I'm gonna combine these two. Um, somebody would like to know what programs are available to encourage and support youth reach their academic goals. And then we had another person who offered up a few suggestions. So your thoughts on, young people, close your ears. Ban of cell phones in schools. Alternative learning skills, trades at the middle school, and adding robotics and coding to the curriculum in schools. So that, those are great questions. We, you know, the cell phone—that's going to be a little tough. That's where our kids, our kids live on on, on the cell phones, and I do see some schools that find ways to to address that. You know, they put the teachers in the classrooms, leave them on the. You know, leave them on the wall, and, and, and that, that's a school level decision. Um, in my order of priority as a superintendent, <laughs> we ha I have many priorities, and the cell phones is really not at the top of my list, just being honest with you. So I'll leave that up to each individual principal to handle and the teachers to be able to address that. That's number one. Uh, number two on the, um, the other one is STEMs, the STEM curriculum, the STEM courses, the STEM jobs uh, that we have, we have to start teaching that earlier. 
for our kids with coding. You know, um, if you haven't seen the news, I think last week, Apple, Netflix, and Amazon announced that they are not hiring, now they're hiring, um, not just high school, they're hiring employees without college degrees. So I think the tide is changing to demonstrate your skill. So then how do we then put our best foot forward to make sure that our kids are eligible for or have access to those jobs? So those are some of the things that we're looking at. And obviously, it takes a little bit of money on a thing. So how do we then reallocate and work with our principals and a little bit of month, uh, Title I money they got to, around some of the STEM courses um, and robotic programs that uh, we have. We also have a partnership with First Nevada and, and Tesla. Uh, they, they put one in, over at, um, at Legacy. Uh, they have one at Semron. So you know, it's how do we continue to expand across all our schools. Speaking of money, how do we get more resources when we continue to say we have no funds? How do we change things without additional funding? So that's, that's what keeps me all late at night, to be honest with you. Um, I'm working very closely with a speaker, uh, Speaker Fryer said we had a conversation this morning, yesterday, um, last week. It's really the funding, you know, that's number one. That's one of the biggest challenges that we have. But one of the things that you look at within our strategic plan, um, I, I highlighted or put a little asterisk in some of the strategies that are not funded. So in partnership with the Public Ed Foundation, which is a, a partner of ours, is how do they fundraise within this community to then be able to meet and help us pay for some other strategies that, that are in within the strategic plan. The other thing is, which is something that we have been doing um, as an organization is, what are we allocating resources to programs that don't work? So if they don't work, stop, and we allocate them to other things that work or continue to do the things that work and stop having the discipline as an organization to stop doing things that aren't working just because. And I think that's what we've been going through um, and through this process in the last 10 months, uh, 10 months as well. We still have a lot of questions about a commitment for the teacher pipeline for expanding diversity. Um, we have a young person in the room, young compared to me, but I'm old. A young person in the room who's an early graduate from Centennial High School um, who is also wondering um, if you have discovered what the problem is with addressing the need to hire more African-American employees and promote them within the system. So, so that's um, one of the things that we need to you know, when you look at the data, you look at what, what's been going on, I mean, this is not a new problem. Um, it's something that we need to do a better job of, and we're committed to doing that. Um, I've made some changes in my administration. You know, may, may have been popular or not popular, but it's really about the best person for the job. And that's why I'm, I'm currently in the, in the process of recruiting a targeted recruiting, if you will, for two key cabinet positions. Um, 
and my COO and my chief of HR. And also, as I transitioned and brought in a new team within my region suits and my, um, my school, uh, school associate superintendents as well, um, you know, I have, I have a diverse cabinet in the, in the teaching and learning. <coughs> Unfortunately, not locally, but I, re I went out and recruited, um, obviously, Dr. Cuban McCoy came with me, uh, but then also uh, Dr. Sam Scabella, who came from Cleveland Metropolitan School System, um, that he's now building roots here, African-American male. Um, and um, looking at my cabinet, and I, and I brought in a, a woman from um, Colorado, Latina. So it's just really, as we continue, and we know that, is then how do we then find ways to include in the coming year? Maryland, Baltimore, New York, Michigan, to name a few, are states that are using meditation instead of punitive discipline measures um, to address the school-to-prison pipeline. Is it realistic, realistic to hold meditation in school in lieu of punitive discipline? To give a thought, um, I, I need to go back and look and see what's the, the school systems that are that are using meditation. I'll say this: uh, we have we have to find ways to address that um, challenge. One of the other issues is how do we then help our teachers when our class sizes are they are as large as they are? You know, there's a lot of different things that we need to address. But certainly, looking you know, willing to look at it. But I don't. I need to see what school systems, when you say Michigan, and what school systems in New York um, are using that as a, as a tool. Based on your responses regarding Title I, is targeted funding for ELL going away? Currently, that is the targeted group focused on based on WIDA and the ELL Master Plan. So according to, so Title I is on poverty. So there's no, um, you know, student group, it's really around poverty. That's how you identify uh, as a school. So there's no um, intent from my administration to remove any of the categoricals that the state has allocated or continues to allocate for our schools, which is Zoom, Victory, and SB 178. What is your policy on principals trespassing parents from the school? So, so there's got so here's where, so so here's where we need to have um, a conversation a conversation around what civil behavior is in schools, right? Of the adults, and I think that's in that's in relationships. That is in culture. Um, I don't have a set policy. I do have to protect, really make sure that children and the adults are protected. And I go back to my comments around our kids are watching. Amen. How we treat each other. So I think that is, you know, obviously as, as a former principal, you have to find ways to maintain safety on your campus. Uh, but it's not something that, you know, as a superintendent, I will say no more um, trespassing on our campuses. 
Um, but I think it really goes back into culture expectations. And then how do we have a civil discourse when we don't agree on things? Uh, and keeping the core the core, which is how do we really help our students, uh, which should be at the center of all our conversations. This one's from a substitute teacher. We keep hearing about integrating contributions of African Americans throughout the curriculum has to wait for new textbooks. I've been in many classes that use supplemental sources from the internet. When can we start implementing this in, when can we start implementing this in a different manner? So I get concerned on, on searching and this is part of a funding issue. I get concerned where our, our teachers are struggling because we don't have curriculum, that they're finding curriculum on the internet. Because is it vetted? Is it aligned to standards? That's something that I get concerned about because then when you look at our student achievement data, if it's not aligned to the standards to hit that rigor, then it's like we're spinning our wheels and, and our teachers continue to struggle. We need to do a better job as a state to provide the instructional material resources that are aligned to the standards. Um, and that's something that I've been working on um, to try to you know, find ways to, to do that uh, because our, our curriculum, counting on teachers to go to the internet or teacher pay teacher, there's, not, there's no consistency and, and in some cases not aligned to the standards. If an issue with the superintendent is not being handled, how do we set up a meeting with the board to address the issue to be resolved? So my board president is right here, <laughs> Trustee Brooks. Um, you can certainly contact any of my board members, all seven of them, um, to address any issues that you may or may not, it may, it may or may not be resolved with me. Or you can call me and then find out what the rest, what what the issue is. We have a request to talk about parent programs that are available in the Clark County School District. So one of the things that we are doing is really um, changing our parent engagement. And I say that because usually we say, well, parents don't come to our schools, so they don't they're not engaged. So one of the things that we need to do, and we are doing part of including this strategic plan, is that we need to start finding ways to go to our parents, where they are. Mm -hmm. They don't come to school for various reasons, because they gotta work two or three jobs. Our schools are open when they're working. So it's how do we then find ways, that's why our, not only our parent university, we may need to start doing them on Saturdays, where parents are off, if they are off. So in the evening, go to the church, finding ways to go where the parents are to engage them. That's why we are having conversations with um, the Nevada Resort Association to then allow us to go to the hotels, the casinos, onto their workspace so then we can teach our parents that are working during their break how to get on infinite campus how to check report cards, how to check attendance. So, so those are some of the things that we're looking um, to address and then putting some more things online for parents to be able to access <coughs> during their time off or at home. 
We have had a couple questions about a trustee. We are not, the superintendent works for the trustees, so we, it would not be appropriate for him to address a question about the trustees. Um, um, if there are any questions that we have not, burning questions that have not been covered, we have about one minute left.
As a matter of fact, I'm going to the school next week. I'm not telling you the day because <laughs> I like making my school visits unannounced just to walk in. Um, so one of the things that we have been doing is I have been monitoring what's been going on. There's already been some meetings. I know there's, an, there's a, um, a school um, parent um, advisory to address some of the individual court issues at that school with the principal and the children. So now that's already ongoing. Now, one of the things that we did this week where we are working with um, ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League, right now to bring in training. We were hoping to do it this week, but we could make it work is to offer training and do training for the adults in the short next two weeks or three weeks as soon as we can get that scheduled for all the adults on that campus so that's some of the first steps that we're taking within the next three weeks the next thing is the national equity project that's coming they're going to start there moving forward that's where we're going to start to address some of the cultural issues at that school. Mm. It's not the matter of whether it's the color, it's about the safety of the children in the school system, period. And I wanna know why do we need to have all these meetings to make things safe for all the children in the school system? You don't need to keep meeting about that. You need to do something about it right now. So one of the things that um, I go back and obviously on um, on that month on the on the day of the Arborview situation, we've learned a lot on the react how we reacted to that situation. We've learned a great deal. Um, and we had that conversation with the board on Thursday of last, last board meeting. We have to improve our process. One of the things that our police department, on, especially on the, on the gun violence, you know, since the Canyon Springs situation where we tragically, I think that was immediately following that I was here uh, to address that situation, uh, the gun violence in our community is coming on to our schools. So that's a, I put that aside because that's a different conversation. As a school system, our police responds to make sure that all threats, as was stated at the board meeting, are viable. All threats are viable until, until they are determined or deem that they are not viable. That is the police as the experts. Now we understand on the safe voice, some things that we learned that we need to put in place to make sure that when we review that, that we look at all the threats that come in and do not rely on one person. So we've learned a great deal from that, and now we're already making changes to address that issue. Now, 
our police department, when, when I say, you know, when I learned and by the time I landed, they were already arrested, they take it seriously. And that's why they contacted Metro and the um, North Las Vegas, but then they also, it was Homeland Security who also was involved in some of these cases. Now, I go back to some of the things that were changing and we added four canine dogs wow. to be crazy. able to do some of the searches. Because after Canyon Springs, we started, and, and I know you're a child, but I, we started random searches on our schools. So we've already done that. Now I'll tell you one of the things that we need to continue to improve is how do we reallocate our police within CCSD to make sure that they're on our campuses. I just don't have enough. Not that it's an excuse, because it is not. But when you look at the dollars that we need to get, our issues in Clark County are totally different than some of the counties across the state of Nevada. So I need to have more resources so we can address exactly what you're talking about because I don't have a police officer in every campus. I need to. So it's not moving officers from the night crew, the graveyard, where they're guarding our buildings when our children are in school. So we're already taking steps to address some of those things because the last thing that I want is to be is to have to handle a parkland situation because I've seen what has happened in that community. Some of my dear friends worked in that campus and worked in that school system. That's the last thing that I want in this community for our children. With the, the, this seemed to be, uh, Janice, you know, start with a cell phone incident. And working in the school district, I've been in the hallways where fights have broke out, all kinds, and it all goes back to students communicating with the cell phone and starting these issues. You want to come up so we can, everybody can hear you. For my daughter today, it's a little Muslim, so just work with me. I talked to I sent the email to you, and I believe that you got this. This is my daughter, Ramaya Bismillah. I'm here to address the concern and also take a stand against the teacher that called my daughter a slave. Let me educate you on what a slave. A slave is a, is a person who is legal property of another and is forced to obey their owner. Now, what was done to slaves, they were raped, beaten, shackled. I have a message for the teacher, Leon Soros, and SC, I mean, CCSD. My daughter has never been raped, beat, shackled, nor has she been sold. Amaya is a wonderful 14-year-old, 
young, gifted African Americans, <laughs> students that enjoy living and is always eager to try and experience new things. There needs to be a change made in selecting education, education teachers on diversity and appropriate terminology.